People always ask how I balance my family life with 400 shows a year. I'm just doing what I love with the people I love. It's my magic life. I like Wes Isley. I like everything about him. All right, guys. We are back. And this week's episode is awesome. I've been looking forward to this one. Somehow, someway, I think through my publicist, we got a hold of this guy. We became friends with him. And um, we have so many things we've been talking about. Some some irons in the fire. Some uh, some ideas thrown back and forth. And uh, we can't tell you too much. But um, I want to introduce the world to my friend, Dave Palmer. He is a producer, an animator, and a director. You've known him from Backyardigans and Blues Clues. And I have a whole list of stuff on IMDb. But everybody... We'll get into that. Everybody, it's Dave Palmer. What's up, buddy? How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Dude, I am so excited to get into this. I don't even know where to start. I think I'm going to start with your resume. So I okay. got Backyard Again. You were an animator, director, producer. Go to IMDb, look up Dave Palmer, and you'll see what credits, because it's hard to... He was a director on this one, but he did 37 episodes of producing in this okay. one, and this one, and this one. Look him up. Backyard Again, Blues Clues, Hello Jack, which was the Apple TV show, Santiago the Sea, Shimmer and Shine, Wally Kazam. And then before the podcast started, Natalie wasn't in the room. I said, I want to talk to you about Beavis and Butthead. That must have been your first gig. And tell Natalie what you said about Beavis and Butthead. I don't think I worked on that. I don't have any <laughs> recollection of working on it. And I think I think it was just one of those, because there are other credits on IMDb that I, you know, that I didn't do. So... I just chalk it up to, you know, it was just somehow their wires got crossed and they gave me a credit for something I didn't really do. And other people have said, oh, man, I love that. You know, I love that movie. And uh, and, and I always have to say, oh, that's terrific. But I don't, I don't think I worked on it at all. You know, I was I was young then. It was so long. I mean, we're going back, what, 20 something years. So uh, Dude, my memory is completely failing me or, or that's their mistake. Well, I mean. What could it have been? You said you're in the same office, though, right? The same building. Yeah, the, the, the MTV animation was right in the same building as us when we were doing Blues Clues, and I knew some of those guys, and you know, and, and you know, and um, and they would come up to the Blues Clues floor sometimes, and we would go down there and hang out, and um, you know, so you know, the only thing I could think is that I did a little freelance work and got a couple credits on something that you know I've since forgotten because you know when I was th those were my first you know, days in the industry, you know, I, I, I went to, um, I went to NYU to get a grad degree in animation because, you know, when I got out of my undergrad, um, school, which was at the college grade school, I just didn't have any professional contacts and I needed, you know, I really wanted to break into the industry. So I went to NYU that led to blues clues and, you know, and, and, you know, I was in my mid twenties, you know, I was working all the time, you know, we would, we would be at the, the studio all all day every day um to make that show and so it's all kind of a blur you know so <laughs> so so let's let's go back up high school were you into art in high school i mean yeah. art class all through i remember moving when i was in second grade and making friends because i could draw stuff you know in second grade i just always had um i always had a little ability to draw um and uh and that kind of became my thing. I spent a lot of time in art classes, took all the art classes I could through, you know, high school. Um, and in high school, I, you know, thought maybe I could make a career in animation, you know, kind of like, but I, I you know, I, I grew up in upstate New York. I didn't know anybody in show business. I, you know, it seemed like a dream, you know, it, it seemed impossible, but um, I knew that Ithaca, college had a great film program and it had a little bit of animation training as well so I thought well I'll go there and I'll get a kind of a well-rounded education and learn everything I can about animation and that was that was a great first um you know kind of introduction to the history of it and the craft of it um I'm still friends with my professor from Ithaca Carl Staven who is now in in uh Pennsylvania teaching and and he taught me so much but Again, you know, not get, having any professional contacts, you know, NYU was really the way that I, you know, I met John Canemaker there, who's an animation historian, Oscar-winning animation historian now. And, um, you know, doing two years there 
learning from, uh, you know, one of the greats um, was just, you know, life changing. You know, we I got to meet, you know, two of the nine old men from Disney there. You know, we, we saw so many films and it was great to, you know, be around so many other people that love the craft, too. You know, so. So, yeah, I took I, I took a shot at, you know, kind of parlaying that, you know, the interest in art at an early age into, you know, animation. Um, and the more I, I learned about it, the more I tried it, the more I loved it. Because it, it kind of combined everything, not just the 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 art side of it, but, you, you know, the music and the editing and the storytelling and the, you know, kind of the emotional connection you can make with an audience through film was just so compelling to me. So, um, you know, I just, uh, just the more I did it, the more I loved it. Were you one of those kids that made those little flip books? That had the Every cards? textbook, yep. No. <laughs> that was always Every... fun to pass down one of those textbooks. Like, hey, look. <laughs> so Natalie has no voice, guys. Sorry, she Sorry. Uh, she has no voice. But yeah, she said she got those uh, flip books when she would get uh, go to college and she'd buy a book and she said she'd flip through the pages. She was uh, so awesome, like a surprise. Yeah, I yeah. used to love that. I used to, yeah, uh, little guys dancing in the corner of your textbook, you know. Um, luckily, I, I was had... a good note taker. You never did that? No, it's so much fun. And um, yeah, you know, I, I was a, a big note taker. So all my notes were doodled with little cartoons and stuff. So really at that, you know, you know, once I learned the craft of it much later, you know, all those years of drawing silly pictures really paid off. <laughs> Um, they actually finally had meeting and, and I put a little, you know, structure behind them. So I know magic, but I wanted to go to school for, uh, um, I went to the, I wanted to go to Art Institute of Pennsylvania because mm -hmm. I wanted to do movie magic. My dad had a video store, so I loved horror movies. And then mm -hmm. Terminator 2 came out when I was in high school and I'm like, well, it's all CGI. I cannot sit behind a desk 18 hours a day. I have to go, go, go. I, yeah. I that would feel like prison to me to sit at a desk. So, um, while I was going to art classes in college, my teacher made me draw like 40 hours of homework on to-go items, just to just draw it. Make sure you show 40 hours of detail into that. And I was so disgusted, bored. I just, I got to go. I got to, I can't, that's one picture. I can't put 40 hours of homework in there. So I put stick figures walking out from the bottom of the thing. It was, it was awful. It was bad. And she just killed every dream I had. Did you have any teachers that you did like in art that just brutalized you in a type of art that you didn't like? You know, I had some real tough professors at Ithaca, but, you know, I grew to love them, you know, and, and, you know, one of them, Danny Guthrie is a photo professor who, again, I'm still, you know, in contact with him on Facebook and whatnot. He, he taught me so much about composition and, and, uh, and things that I use every day, but his critiques were brutal and it really I had to grow a thick skin and think thankfully I did because you know my career now is is a lot about hearing no again and again and again and and I really feel like that experience helped me just shake it off you know like the work will save you just keep working um so I grew to appreciate Danny's critiques but man at first you know <laughs> You know, I, I would, my jaw would drop and, you know, he would just call you out in the middle, you know, in front of everybody and talk about what you did wrong or what he didn't like. And, um, and then when I went to NYU, that was a much nicer, you know, strangely enough, that was grad school. And I thought, oh, it's really going to get real now. But John Canemaker, you know, was not that way, you know, and it was very supportive and it was, you know, uh, much friendlier. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I had, you know, I had some tough professors, some, you know, you'll, you're in school long enough, you're going to have some professors that don't like you, you know, so, you know, I had those experiences, but, um, but I always, you know, it, it never dissuaded me, you know, if, so, if one had pulled me aside and said, you'll never make it, you know, it's something, you know, um, but, you know, I, I don't know that I would have listened, but that would have been the only thing that could have really affected me, you know, getting, you know, poor grades, you know, I just saw it all as I'm here to learn. I'm here to get better at this craft. There's, there's, you know, hundreds of years behind me and, you know, of, of other people have done it better. Let me learn from them, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't think I, even now, I mean, even, I mean, I, I'm 25 years into my career and I've had some tough moments, you know, and it, 
I still want to get up every day and do what I'm doing. You know, it just doesn't, I'm not, um, I just don't care about, you know, those, those obstacles. I just, um, luckily I can compartmentalize them as, as that was that, right. It has nothing to do with me. It's either that person's opinion or, or, or yeah, what I did, did stink. You know what I mean? Like, but I could do better. You know what I mean? Like just focusing on, on the work of it all. So, uh, so what is your work entail now? I, I know that I've followed the, uh, the, I love Simpsons. So the Simpsons sent everything overseas and they had all the illustrators do everything over there. Is Blue's Clues more on the computer? You're not hand drawing it. It's done on the computer and you're animating yeah. it that way. I or mean, that's all, or you have to draw it first. Blue's Clues was my first gig and really in a lot of ways the best experience I had as a director and a producer because it was all we would draw in Photoshop but then in, incorporate everything into um, After Effects and animate it all in After Effects which is a piece of software anybody can get at their local you know computer store um, and uh, it, it was so you know things started as drawings for the animation but then we would texture them and then we would have computer files that we would use so it was all done in house at the end of Blues Clues' run, I mean, we had two directors, each with a team of animators, and we were all in the same room. It was the best gig as a supervising director and producer because I could just walk over to an animator, look at what they're doing, say, ah, do it a little more like this. And they would know exactly what I meant and they could fix it and then just go. You know, and, and it feels like, and so that was 1996. That was a long time ago and things have come a, a long way technology-wise. And it, it feels like every job I got after that the team moved farther and farther away. When we were doing Backyard Against, the team was in Canada. When we did Wally Kazam, the team was in Bangalore, India. You know, it's it's you know it's it's much more of a global uh, industry now. You know, um, and uh, yeah, so that, Blues Clues was a rare and really wonderful experience for that reason. So now, I mean, the 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 show I'm working on now is being done in Canada. It is a lot of remote work. You know, and thankfully, you know, in a lot of ways, thankfully so, because during the pandemic, nothing really slowed us down. You know, we could just keep creating the stuff we were creating, you know. Um, and I, I know that there are still places that do hand-drawn art out there. A lot of it is digital at some point in the process now. Um, and a lot of independent so, animators still work by hand, too. So the first run started in 96. You were there from day one of Blue's Clues? Yeah, I worked on the so I worked on the pilot the summer before I graduated from NYU. Uh, I co-designed wow. Blue. Yeah, uh, I met the creators um, Tracy Todd and Angela Santamaro and um, Tracy Page Johnson, Todd um, Kessler, and, and Angela Santamaro, and uh, through one of my professors actually. So one of my professors had a business where he got the gig to do the pilot. He hired me because I was doing some work in his class that he thought was interesting and. And so we were one summer, we just, you know, there's maybe five of us on it. We did the pilot, the show got picked up and they were in production while I was finishing at NYU. And, uh, and, you know, I kind of thought after NYU, I would come out to LA where I am now and work in features or something, but I really hit it off with the folks from Blues Clues and they convinced me to stay. So, um, so I kind of developed the animation system they were using for Blues Clues that a lot of the early animations of Blue and uh, so then I just stayed on as an animator, but quickly kind of rose through the ranks. I started directing after a few months and then over the course of years, we did that show for, I think nine years I was on that show, which is an incredible run for, you know, for somebody in our business, you know, it's, uh, uh, I was very, very lucky. But over those nine years, I kind of worked my way up to producing and, and having more uh, agency on the show. Um, so yeah, I was really there from, <laughs> from the, you know, not the first day, because obviously that was, you know, the creators of the show, you know, were there first, but, you know, I was there about as early as you could have been and stayed right up to the to the end, you know, worked a little, we had a little spin-off we did at the end that had puppets in it. I directed one of those. And that was, you know, I would have worked on that show forever. I really loved, I mean, had a great mission. The people were great. It was hard work, um, but it was really fun to, work on something that had such a great response from the audience and I just knew we were doing good work I, you know I thought you know just for that audience um we were giving them something really really crafted for them and something that could really you know 
help them, you know, and uh, not only learn stuff, but feel rewarded and feel empowered. And that was really, you know, the main mission was, you know, make them laugh and make them feel empowered that they can do anything, you know. My little nephew was born in 95. I mean, he, that was that was his sweet spot. I mean, yeah, yeah. blue and singing the song. <laughs> mailbox, mailbox and going to get the mail. And it's mail time. I remember all of that just from him because it was yeah. always on. Yeah. So was the was the show originally like canceled or, or done just because the, the original human character wanted to retire? Is that that's the rumor? Uh, we switched. So Steve was the first host and he was amazing. And yeah, and he he did I, I forget how many episodes he did. Um, he must have done a hundred. And then he wanted to move on. It was it was a big responsibility to be that character at that time. It was a hugely popular show. And I remember standing outside. We we you know we were working in a building right in Times Square at the time. And I was standing outside with him. And because uh, the character's name and his name are the same. When people saw him, they would just yell Steve and he would, they would just get his attention, you know? So he, he always had to be ready to put on that persona. And I think, you know, you know, really it's his story to tell. And I think he's done interviews where he's talked about it, but he, it, it got to be where, it, you know, he, he felt like he wanted to try other things and, and maybe give up that responsibility a little bit, you know? Um, he makes a joke I know about losing his hair at the time. Uh, he didn't want to do that on TV. Um, but you know, it could be all those things. Um, but he was amazing. And then, and then what we did, we transitioned to my buddy, Donovan Patton came in to play Joe, Steve's brother. Um, and so we did like three transition episodes and then we did another season or so with Donovan as the host. And then it was, uh, and then we stopped making them after season. I think we did six seasons or something like that. So with the transition episodes, they were introducing him. Steve was introducing Joe to the audience. Yeah. I missed yep, all was, I Oh, you did? Oh, we did them. a big special. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, okay. Yeah, it was like, here's my brother Joe. He's going to come in. And Steve was going to college. The story was that Steve, the character, was going to college. We visited the college. And Blue knew he was going to college. And then Joe was going to stay with Blue as Steve went off and, and did his thing. And it's been fascinating, too, because, you know, they did the reboot with a new host named Josh, who's incredible also they're all, all three of them are so talented and you know seeing steve and donovan and josh all acting together it's like almost you know three not generations but you know three iterations of that host working together is so much fun you know to watch um and uh yeah so yeah donovan was was great to work with we're still friends you know it's like that's the great thing about this business is sometimes you make your best friends you know in the trenches that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, uh, tell me about. Tell me, is all of them computer done now, or do you do you actually hand do any of them anymore? That you know, I, just the not stuff done I work on. Yeah, you know, I I know that there's hand drawn stuff being done out there in the world of animation. It's not done as much. Um, you know, for you know, so I know that you know across the Spider Verse movies are you know those are. I think I think there's got to be some hand drawn animation incorporated into the digital stuff that they do. I don't know if you've seen those. They're masterpieces i would definitely check those out um but the stuff i worked on you know my whole career again you know going back a long time has been in preschool and so we did blues clues you know uh, in computer with computers um but then you know starting with backyardigans i think every single show i've done has been basically cg animated kind of like in that you know 3d style of like pixar films and stuff like that so um and that's you know what i'm currently working in now is that format and Will I always, you know, work in that mode? I'm not sure, you know, I, it's funny because sometimes, you know, techniques go in and out of favor. So, you know, CG is huge. You know, once Pixar films got so popular and Disney shifted from 2D to 3D, I feel like everybody was like, oh, this is the way to do animation, you know? And it, to me, I'm a style agnostic. I, it doesn't matter to me, as long as the story is great, the art is beautiful, it has heart, you know, all those great elements that you need from a story. I will work in 2D hand-drawn stuff, CG, a mix of it. You know, I'll animate with clay. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me at all. Um, but I would say most of, most productions now are either 3D or 2D computer art, basically. So I know technology gets cheaper 
every single year. But I feel like I remember Jimmy Neutron was like a million dollars an episode because it was all computer done. Is that crazy? Oh, Is that a crazy you. rumor I've heard? I don't. Yeah, that that I would love to know what it cost back then because you're going back a few years too. You know, I I think. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why it, it is expensive to do because it's so it takes so long to do. It's time intensive. All animation really is, you know, um, at a certain level of quality. And so I think that's why it, the industry has become more of a global industry, because you could, you know, the cost of doing animation in India is much, much less than hiring that same number of animators here in America. Right. And then if, if the if the buyer thinks the quality is just as good, then they can save millions of dollars doing that, you know. Um, so, you know, I, the stuff that I've worked on, I, you know, the budgets don't get anywhere near a million an episode. You know, that could be because it's preschool. That could be because, you know, of the style, you know, um, I'm not really sure. But um, it is an expensive art form. Uh, it takes so many people and it takes so long to do it well. That's where all your money goes just in. Yeah, in um, just in terms of payroll, week after week after week of people generating art, you know. Um, but once, but once you have Blue walking on stage, entering stage left, putting his arm up, or saying hey, it's mail time, you have that. Do you have to do it again? You know, you, reuse is what you're talking about. We call it reuse, and reuse is key yes. to any process, right? And so you want to be able to reuse as much as you can. The thing, and, and you do, you reuse walk cycles and, um, you know, things like if a character has a default pose when they're just standing and listening, you know, you could reuse that stuff. Um, and you want to reuse as much as you can, but great stories with compelling characters over time, you're going to need new stuff every time, you know? So the stuff on Blue's Clues, yeah, we had all her barking and running and, and, and uh, wagging her tail, all that already done, but then we'd see the script and it's like, Blue plays the trumpet. All right, well, somebody draws a trumpet and I guess we'll animate that, you know, or, you know, Blue is, you know, wearing a cowboy hat. And, you know, so it, you know, the stories always have specifics in them. And that's where you put your time and money and that, you know, and hopefully you're doing a mix of reuse and original stuff every episode. And that keeps the quality high because you can spend more time on every frame. But in television, the, the you know, the, at least in my experience, the, the budgets are tight and the schedules are tight. So, you know, you need every minute you can get just to do the animation that's original per episode, you know? And the thing so, about it is- So, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, I mean, even, say you're gonna use a walk cycle for a character, right? You have a default walk cycle, which is that, you know, just the mechanics of them walking. But the thing about animation is always, you're always dealing with two things, the internal and external forces on that character, right? So you can animate a character walking, walking along now they have to now they're walking and it's windy right and there's that's the external forces on them it's windy or they're walking uphill and that changes the body right and then you have to add internal forces how are they feeling about this are they angry that it's so windy and they're walking uphill that's going to change it even more so you know the default walk is really only the basis upon which you hang all this additional specificity to tell the story you're trying to tell right you have to work out, you know, kind of if it's a quadruped, you know, does it walk like a cat? Does it walk like a deer? Does it, you know, or something else? You know, you have to work, you walk it out, you work it out in terms of the generalities. But in the scene, it's, well, that guy's carrying a heavy box. He's going to lean back. His arm's going to be straight, but we can use the, you know, maybe sliding his feet. How heavy is it? Is he talking over his shoulder? You got to turn his shoulders a little bit, you know, it's, it changes every time. And that's, exactly. that's why, yeah. It sounds like you have no reuse. It sounds like you're changing it so much that there'd be no reuse. Because, I mean, do you keep the raw footage or do you keep the edited footage? It's all done for the reuse. You have to keep it uh, raw. Or do you have yeah. files? Who keeps all that? That's got to be somebody's... I wouldn't want that job. That's that's a lot to keep up with. On Blue Schools, we had an archivist who would catalog every prop we made, every, like, you know, everything we needed for the show, because not only are you reusing animation or you're reusing, you're reusing locations and props as well, right? So all that had to be cataloged in, in, in terms of props, it's like trumpets and cups and spoons and rocks and grass and flowers and whatever. And so he would, you know, ha hashtag or what, I don't know, how, I'm not an archivist, but he would organize it in some way, you know, so he could find the stuff, you know, so somewhere, I don't know what happened to any of that stuff, somewhere there are 
you know, gigabytes of information of everything we made for Blue's Clues. And I'm sure that's true for every show that I've worked on. It's like somebody has that library that you could go into it and be like, I need that sailboat from episode three and somebody could find it for you, you know? It takes a massive amount of, of uh, uh, memory, you know, computer memory to like, you know, handle it all, you know, render it all and then and store it. So yeah, it's pretty... Uh, but theirs is in a file bank somewhere. We worked on the Carbon Arrow effect and they, they were filing everything away, every property used and putting in a warehouse. When you're dealing yeah. with baskets, boxes, and TVs that did a trick and they had to build all these props and the, the, the protein container where we turned a mouse into a giant rat. I mean, they kept all of that in the warehouse. His takes up less space. His takes up much less space and he's got <laughs> a lot more footage. He had a lot more successful yeah. years run too. Um, so... Did you do the like the television shows and the special, not the television shows, the movies and all the the one-off specials of Blues Clues as well? Were you on everything of Blues Clues? Uh, up until we wrapped that sixth season, yeah, um, or after really after Blues Room, which was the puppet spinoff. So we did a we did a feature, we did two feature-length specials that weren't for theaters, right? So and then um, and then we did a lot of little things too, you know, like little bumpers and sometimes a commercial or two, kind of all of that was handled by our team. Yeah, so I worked on every episode. Um, there might've been, cause I was finishing up school right as they were starting. Yeah, but I think I worked on every single episode. Um, and then, you know, and I, I, I was luckily and thankfully able to consult on the reboot, you know, uh, when they recently restarted it because the, um, they weren't, they were using different tools than we use, but, uh, the creators were still interested in having that same feel from that classic version. So I could meet with that team and say, well, this is kind of how we did it. And they, they could find their own kind of like happy medium because they were using much more expensive and better equipment than we were using. I mean, back when we were doing that show, we were using consumer grade stuff that you could just go to any computer store and buy, you know, and we would you, so sometimes you'd be on the overnight shift rendering out your shop and because it would your computer would crash so you'd wait and it would go blink you know and you go oh, crash and you'd set it back a frame and keep going that would crash again you'd just be there until three four in the morning until it was done and then in the morning you'd give the editor like six pieces of a shot and be like there you go good luck you know um so we were we were definitely not using the finest stuff but we were also nobody was doing a show like we did that show we kind of created that process from beginning to end in real time as we were doing that show, um, which is, that's why partly, it was a great learning ground for how to do animation production, you know, kind of figuring out every piece of it. Wow, that's amazing, man. That's amazing. You you mentioned briefly, uh, you said, you know, you're not opposed to doing claymation. Have you worked on claymation? Uh, I've done, I did a little stop motion in, in college, but I've never worked in it professionally. Okay. That takes a lot of patience. I have. I don't have the patience for that. I. I, I know I don't. Okay. I, like said, sitting in an office for eighteen hours. That's sitting in an office for thirty six hours. He's only moved that far. That's it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And you know, the, the tools are so much better now um, because you can. You have. You can use computers to show you kind of like where you've been and where you're going. I think. And I think there are some you know additional tools you can use. But back when I was learning it, you know, you'd get halfway through a shoot and you'd trip and kick the light. And so then when you saw the footage later, like the character would be walking along and then it would get dark because that's where you kicked the light and you couldn't go back, you know, unless you, or you mean you could go back to the very beginning if you get hours in. So it takes a lot of patience. Um, and I, I'm totally in all those people, you know, uh, who do that kind of work. I, I love, if you watch, um, you can find clips of the animators from like Kubo and the Two Strings, which is just an amazing movie, animating, right? So they, they were filming the animator and you know, kind of like sped up, and so you can see the the, uh, the the model animating, but then you see this blur of the animator moving around them, and I just love that stuff. Like, um, it, I'm just so amazed, you know, that they're so good at it. I'm going to Google it after this. What's it called? Kubo, Kubo? and the Two Strings. Kubo, K K U B O, and the Two Strings. Oh, that's a gorgeous movie. It's a little bit spooky, so I might, it, depending on how brave your kids are, it might not be for your kids, but it's a great, great story. Beautifully told. My yeah. kids 
tell it. Yeah, if okay, not, yeah. They'll, they'll grow up quick. I, I grew up in a video <laughs> store. My dad let me watch anything growing up, and Natalie doesn't agree with it, but we're a little more liberal in our house. So we're what, somewhere in the middle. What was the... Up in the middle of the night when they have nightmares either. Yeah, right. yeah. They, they wake her up. Yeah. Right, that. right. So I'm like, oh, well, let's watch Gumby instead if you want to do it. <laughs> What was the uh, what was the earliest like scary thing you remember? Like how young were you when you saw like something really scary that you know you remember? Oh, I mean Friday Friday the Thirteenth came out what eighty four. I was born in seventy seven. I remember I remember. And what's what's funny is now that I love magic so much, I don't remember the magic in the movie The Terror Train. But I know my parents took me to see that, and I think that was eighty two. We saw it in the movie theater. And my aunt, my aunt had a house and a train was in her backyard. Mm. So I didn't remember the movie. I don't remember the, the people getting stabbed. I don't remember any of that. But I remember there's a killer on the train. And every time that train went by the dinner table, we were in the dining room hanging out with my aunt. Every time the train would go by, I would be holding on to my mom's leg. Just there's a killer on the train. I know there is. I saw the movie. So I didn't remember how it ended. I just remember there's a killer on the train. That's right. That's all I remember. That was way too young. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even get it. To this day, he's it. never been on a train. He's only cars or planes. Like I've, I've just ruled have I been out. on a train? <laughs> Not with you. <laughs> <laughs> but Copperfield was in that movie, and I don't even remember Copperfield in the movie. Isn't that crazy? Like you yeah. think that would be my memory of the movie? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I own it now. I love it now. Yeah, yeah. Huh. But yeah, that's too young, probably. I should have been watching <laughs> Blues Clues. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, yeah. but kids, anyway, kids select so, that so, stuff. Like a certain kind of person will select that stuff when they're a little kid. So my little They'll girl go looking for it. My little yeah. girl, my little girl is eleven, and she's really dipping her toe into trying to get more. She still has nightmares. She still comes and tells mommy I had a bad dream, but she's she's reaching for it more. She wants mm -hmm. it more. She likes that scare factor. Like, mm -hmm. but then ask her to go collect wood or go let the dog in after dark. And <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just a kid I, being a kid. It's yeah. adventurous being. It's yeah, I remember talking body. to my, my youngest. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know, watching your kids struggle with that or, or, or not, it's not struggle, but like my youngest, I remember having a conversation with him because he's the type of kid that has trouble walking around the house when it's dark at night. And you know, one and I was the same way as a kid, but I and I said, How lucky you are, because your imagination is so good. You can make yourself believe there's something there that's not there. Like you know how how uh, rare that is that somebody can imagine that strongly, like that and I'm like that. And and uh, and I have trouble walking around the house at night sometimes because I'll I can make myself believe anything, you know, and but but that's that just shows um, that's a strength. You know what I mean? How lucky you are that you can do that because you can imagine anything now, you know, that you, you know that you can what? do that. Twist. That's awesome. That is a great twist. Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. upstairs. I want to just go get it. It's right downstairs. You're like, <laughs> right. that's a great thing. I'm like, that's a positive twist. Yeah, that is cool. That is yeah. cool. Yeah, you're making, you're making movies in your head and you're making yourself feel those feelings. That's why cinema, like, that's why I love filmmaking, you know? It's like, you know, you're only, you know, to make somebody believe that a story that's just flashing by at 24 pictures a second, you know, so much that they laugh or cry or they're scared. I mean, that's, that's a different kind of magic as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's like, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, in appreciating how, you know, the, you know, that about yourself, it's like, you know, it is putting a positive spin on it because, you know, I want them to get over it too, you know, be able to walk around in the world, you know, but, uh, but I, I I do believe that it is you know not everybody can do that. It's cool. We watched uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy with Rocket Raccoon and just yeah. it was so tear jerking. We've watched it yeah. twice now, and I'm like I don't know that I can watch it a third time. <laughs> it's just too much emotional for me. I yeah. love it. I love the story. the The guy that directed it, the guy that put it all together, the animation's beautiful. They pull me in, but mm -hmm. it pulls me hurts so much, and he wins, and it. But during that part, yeah. it's just I'm so hurt, and I'm like, God. Are you talking about that part? There's a part where Rocket Raccoon is talking to that guy, the blue guy with the fin on his head, about his his past, 
It might have been in the sequel or something. I can't remember. But there was, there was. I, was, I remember watching a scene with Rocket Raccoon and the guy. I forget the name of the character, y- Yondo or something like that. He's yeah. blue and he's got that fin, right? And I'm getting choked up, and I'm like, "What artistry? Like, how, like that you've laid every, you know, you're you're building this cathedral of story, and you've laid every brick perfectly that I can watch a a guy with a bunch of makeup." and a fully CG animated raccoon talking. And I'm like, oh, it's just getting me right here. I mean, that's so cool. And I, I love it, but I don't think I can do a third time. It's, it's it's like watching my own dog die. I, it just, it Aww. hurts. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's that's awesome. That's awesome storytelling. That is beautiful. Yeah. I can appreciate that side. I definitely can appreciate it. So let me get let me get morbid for a second. What do you mm-hmm. think about a, AI in your job yeah, you with, know, with everybody in Hollywood and everybody, and you know, you have the stuff that you're remaking. You call it what does he call it? The the saves, the reuse. You have the reuse. Uh-huh. So what's yeah, yeah. what's that AI just filling in the gaps with the reuse? I mean, yeah, but the, the thing that AI can't is that do scary. Yet. Yeah, I mean, where it could go is scary to me. Not where it is, because the thing is about AI now is that it's just it it scrapes the information out there and, and it can, it's great at shuffling the stuff that's already out there into something new, right? So if you say, if you tell AI to write you a story, it's gonna take pieces of everything that it sees out in the world and, and create a story for you. But what it can't do that a human would do is want to tell a story for a reason. That's, you know, so I, I'm not afraid of it right now because when I tell a story, I want to, I want to pull at your heartstrings for a reason. I'm trying to, my, the theme is, you know, reconnecting with your past in a way that you can process or, you know, or, or let's, let's talk about how, um, you know, uh, what our hopes for the future are or whatever it is, you know what I mean? And AI is not doing that yet. AI can only get like spit out what you put into it by taking what's already out there. Now, if, if it's training exponentially, right? So if AI gets to the point where it can wake up one day and say, I want to tell a story about X because I, you know, I would love to, to show how, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, parents make mistakes and those mistakes are carried forward by their children, multiple generations or whatever it is. Then I'm scared because now it's doing the work of a human and telling stories for a reason, you know, Um, on the art side, you know, you know, I have friends that are um, script writers and they like using it as kind of a mood board. So if you're, if they're writing a Gothic horror thing and, and with, with a little twist and they want to put some art into a package to pitch it, it's, you know, they, they feel like it's okay to um, have AI generated art in a pitch because then you're not really using that art for production, right? Um, it's, it, some people disagree with that, you know, and don't think it should be, you know, if it's taking, if it's pulling pieces from other copywritten art, other art from other artists, it shouldn't be used at all. So, you know, it is, it is, um, it's one of those things that I feel like we're just going to have to deal with. On the other hand, you know, we've seen all the movies where AI learns enough to like try to eradicate humans, right? Like we, we've seen those movies, like <laughs> every time they're like, we've made great gains in ai and look we there's a robot that could walk around on its own i'm like stop haven't you you know like i feel like you know, we've seen it before you know but that's you know humans are like that we we kind of blithely go forward what yeah she's saying life imitates art she said life imitates art um yeah. i was listening to joe rogan and he there's an eater robot e-a-a-t-r i think but what it does, it eats carbon for fuel. So it never needs to be solar powered or anything. But mm. humans are made of carbon. So it can go out there and, oh, you know, it can, right, right. So it, it can, it's it, horrible. It, it, it needs fuel. So it can actually clean up a battlefield, supposedly. Yeah, oh, do research God. on it. He, he Googled it and looked it all up. But I mean, that's, yeah. that's what they invented. They invented yeah. a robot that can eat tree and it can eat all the other stuff, but it can also. Dead animals and whatever to stay alive. It never has to. Never has an oil change. Never has to have solar or gas power. It just needs carbon to live. That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Eater funny, robot. Right? Let's like, talk about yeah. blues. Blues. Um, right, right. Well, so, in, in terms uh, of your question, though, just to you know, I, just to say, like the, the the WGA and the and SA and SAG, you know, the the 
the, the changes that were made to those contracts to say that something has to be written by a human and something has to be, you know, drawn by or you know, acted by a human being. I think these are good things to put in place now to to kind of like make some rules about how it can be used in a commercial way. So just to. So we don't, we don't know. I, didn't, I, I heard it's all over. It's kind of ended, but I didn't know anything. So the only thing I've heard is that like Disney was using like CGI extras, like abundantly. Yeah. Is that still going to happen? I, I think they can use CGI extras, but I, you know, um, the, the, what the, one of, one of the points of contention was that they were saying, if you're a background actor, we could scan your body. We'll pay you for the day to scan your body. And then we just get to use your likeness forever in perpetuity for no pay. And that obviously is the worst idea ever, you know, um, for those actors. Uh, so, you know, I think they put limits on that kind of stuff. I'm not sure what the particulars are. I did hear that, you know, there was specific language put in that scripts have to be written by a human and, and you know, and, the actors in a film have to be human actors or something like that. Um, don't quote me, but I think that's good. I mean, I think it's good to put some limits on that stuff to, you know, um, and I know, I know there's going to be some group of people that only want to see computer generated stuff, you know, and right. that should be available to them too. But for every, you know, for the people who don't want that and for those of us who make our living like this, it's good to protect it a little bit. I don't know what you said. What did you say? Oh, so um, as far as what we got, we got all this stuff. She's talking about a microphone. Sorry. <laughs> what, what are your What are your favorite cartoons? What What inspires you? Ah. Not just your own stuff. What, what do you find yourself watching? Well, when I was a kid, you know, obviously the Disney stuff, and then you know, and then um, you know, I I felt like uh, you know, uh, Looney Tunes, Bugs. I was a big Bugs Bunny fan. Kind of like just the artistry and the humor of those things that that's those two things are the things that got me on this path um lately though i'm really loving again the spider verse movies that sony is, is doing the miles morales movies are just fantastic and just gorgeous um you know uh the stuff that pixar is doing just in terms of the craft is amazing and i love the stop motion films that leica is doing and um uh you know and things like you know nightmare before christmas you know i kind of like it all um and and then on the tv side um things like samurai jack i really love i don't know if you've ever seen that that's just a gorgeous series or avatar of course everyone's you know knows about that one and that's again just you know kind of at the highest level of both craft and storytelling um uh, Hilda, I really liked on on. Um, I think that was a Netflix show. That's a gorgeous show. Great storytelling. Um, I kind of watch it all. You know, I you know I I'm just a fan. Um, so the only the only reason I you know I stop watching is when I'm trying to write something because I don't you know I don't want to cross pollinate things too much. But when I'm between you know writing something like I'm writing a when I finish writing a pitch. Then I just binge watch everything. I love anime. I love you know preschool stuff. I love six to eleven stuff. I like comedies and and I love you know The Simpsons. I, I kind of like it all. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So we we are already forty five minutes into this thing. We got a that went so fast <laughs> through our publicist. It always is. It always is. And we're <laughs> we're pitching a couple ideas to you, but you take pitches from all kinds of people. Tell everybody listening out here they can pitch to Dave Palmer. He's, he wants to hear them. So give us your pitch, Dave Palmer. Well, you know, the thing, the thing is, it's hard to, it's hard to get, make a show. It's difficult just to make the right contacts and have the right idea at the right time. You know, the whole process is difficult. Animation production is difficult. And, you know, I've been really lucky in my career. And what I like to do now is help people realize their vision. You know, like we all win when a great show gets made and and, and, you know, and I'm happy to talk to people about their projects. I look at people's pitches and I'll give them feedback. You know, sometimes I partner with people, you know, like yourselves, if, if that feels like a good fit to try to, you know, co-create something together. But I mean, I'll, I'm the type of person who's, I'll get on the phone and talk cartoons with anybody really. So, um, you know, if, if people have questions, you know, they're welcome to reach out that might think my uh, emails on my website, which is bydavepalmer.com, and they can reach out to me that way. If you have questions about animation, I'm happy to answer them. And 
And if I can, if I can, you know, help somebody get their dream project made, then, you know, I think that's, that's worthy work to do. You know, like we all win when people's, you know, you know, people get their stories out there. It's one of those things in magic that gets, and I'm sure in a lot of businesses where people get jealous and people do this, but when people win and a show gets huge, it only helps other shows. Yeah. It helps everybody, everybody. Yeah. Mm. Rising tide raises all boats. Is that what it is? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Something like I that. I love it. No, I yeah, think you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. So um, let me see. I got, I got a whole bunch of questions for you though, man. Do, 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 do. Tell us about your family. You have the same situation we have. You had a, yeah. a older child, then you had twins. Yep. I have a 15-year-old is my oldest, and I have two 12-year-old twins, uh, boy-girl twins. Do you have twins in your family? No. Wow. Um, I don't know if it's, it might be TMI, but my, my wife was taking something to regulate her ovulation when we were trying to conceive our second child, and, yeah. uh, and the doctor told her there was a a 2% chance it would lead to multiples. And so she she got on the phone pretty quickly when we found out and let him have it about that 2% chance. Uh, but, uh, you know. When did you find out though? We didn't find out till five months in. When did you find out? In the ultrasound, because uh, my wife Jenny was, you know, she was, uh, she was pretty big at the time. So I'm not sure how many months we were in, but she made, Jenny's, my wife is very funny. And she made a joke about, feeling like a double wide trailer and uh and the woman doing the ultrasound I said well there are two in there and she said excuse me what <laughs> and that's how we found out it was great it was great you know there are moments in your life where you just have to just let go and just this this is happening you know and just you know you're, you're gonna do your best and that was one of those moments for me you know where I thought well that is not what we expected that was not the plan, but this is, you know, and now, you know, I can't imagine my life different. It's been just, it does, it, it does start out difficult and it gets easier. Like a lot of things. We're um, in the potty training right now. It's, uh, it's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Two yeah. Boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, what trick are you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were videotaping for our reality show. We do a, we do a little reality show on streaming services and things. And, uh, we didn't videotape when the doctor was in. The lady was measuring my wife's belly, and she's like, this is five months in. We're going to see if it's a boy or a girl. And I'm like, that's the head. That's the backbone. My dad wants to play. That's an arm. Yeah. What's it holding? It looks like it's holding a ball. And the lady said, that's another head. I'm not qualified for twins. And she left the room. She was out of there. She wasn't really? qualified to do the measurements because they have to fit in there. They have to make sure things are moved yeah. around properly. We were in there 45 minutes waiting for the doctor. So I oh turned the God. camera on and I said, Natalie. And she said, yeah, we'll, we'll figure <laughs> it out, shocked. I guess. Well, I guess we'll figure it out. And I got all that on video. It was so great. We did a, wow. uh, gender, a gender reveal the next day. And it was we're just, still in shock. we were in shock. I mean, yeah. I woke up in the middle of the night, twins are coming. And yeah. it's, it's scary. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was during pandemic. I was unemployed with twins on the way. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. tough. Yeah, so, you're like us. You, we, we, we don't know. You know, we went from one to three like that. <laughs> you, know? you go, you go, you go from man to man to zone super fast. Now it's, you know, it's like you take those two. I got this one. You know what I mean? The park. I don't. You know, I'm sure you guys are. You know, whenever you go to a store, or the park. It's like eyes on everybody. You know. You do. You really have to. You can't <laughs> have a conversation a with somebody. <laughs> yeah, uh, my little girl is 11 though, and she's a huge help. And we have a, a live-in babysitter that we pay to help when we're on the road and things to help us. But it's hard, man. It's 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 work. It's work. But yeah. it's getting easier. It's getting easier. We get them potty. It'll be easier. So, yes. yeah. Milestone. So, so what are they into? Are, do they draw? Do any of any of them have the have the neck? You know, it's interesting. They, um, my oldest, he plays a ton of soccer. He he drew a lot as a kid, and he was very good. And you know, and we of course we were like. You know, my wife is an artist too, and uh, and we were so proud and encouraging. But then, you know, you know, as kids do, they find their own way. And so he kind of fell into soccer, and 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 you know, he's a smart kid. He's a real nice kid. All my kids, you know, thankfully, knock on wood, they all seem like nice people. 
And so, you know, we're, you know, kind of happy. Like my wife is um, driving him to SoFi Stadium tonight because he's his team is playing a little scrimmage right in SoFi Stadium tonight. And so he's he's wow. having a great experience with that, doing great in high school. The twins are, you know, they're both musical. One plays guitar, one plays piano. Um, my youngest boy, he he can draw real well and he likes storytelling. And I've taught him a little animation, which has been real fun. He he started for a while. He was making little films with his Lego like little mini figures, you know, telling stories with that. And I would teach him how to do walk cycles and stuff. And, you know, we got him some, there are some kits you can get out there that to do stop motion with kids. But um, at the end of the day, I think we just set up our iPhones and now he has his own because he's in middle school and now he could just, you know, take successive pictures. And then I would I could still bring it into After Effects and do all that Blue's Clues stuff where I can, you know, add, you know, titles and credits and special effects and stuff. So that's been really fun. But who knows, you know, it's it's so I just love the I love watching them just find their thing, you know, because I, I feel like and I feel like, you know, you're the same way that you found your passion so early and you kind of just rode this wave of enthusiasm. And, I you know, I feel lucky that I found my thing so early, you know, and and maybe they will. But it's been fun for me to watch them try stuff and maybe pick something up and then put it down. And, you know, I just feel like. It's been really interesting. I'm, you know, I secretly hope that they'll love art as much as I do. But it animation is a tough business. I don't know that I would wish that on any of them. You know, um, it's just you got to be okay with hearing no and with that. You know, like you know, you're the same way. It's like you you have to go out there and fight for your gigs every every day, right? You know, yeah, and, yeah. and it takes takes a lot of fortitude to be able to do that. So. We have, uh, you know, we say we do on average 400 shows a year and people say, wow, I mean, when are you going to slow down? 2025 is coming around the corner. You got to book those shows. Now, I'm, yeah. that's all I'm doing. Just always get yeah. the next shows. And exactly you know, right. There's no slowing down. Keep and you never say no to booking. anything. Yeah. I mean, I've had multiple jobs at the same time because, you know, I've gone from, I've had times that I have had zero jobs. So when, you know, if you're like, if you have two and somebody's like, can you help me with this thing? I always say yes, right? I'll figure out the timing of it, but I would never say no to work, you know, just for that reason. Because I'm let me double up now for those times later where, I, you know, I have a little bit of a dead spot, you know. It's really, it's really tricky. But it, it, you have to have the passion for it to drive you through those tough moments, right? right um, yeah, it, I don't know if the kids, yeah. I don't know what their thing, you know, what the thing is going to drive them yet. It's going to be fun to find out. Though. And when you're, when you're, can barely hold your eyes open and you're waiting for that video to render and <laughs> it's got four seconds and then it crashes and you got to wait another hour and a half. I've been there. I've been yeah. there. She's gone to bed and I'm, I come to bed at like six in the morning. And I said, finally rendered. I'm finally yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. We've been there. Not fun. Yeah. It's getting better though. It's getting better. Golly. So out of, out of everything you've worked on, what have, have you pitched anything that is like your show, your baby, you got got it off the ground at yours. You know, I I've never I I made a short when I was at Nickelodeon, but in terms of the sh shows I've pitched, I've been pitching for years. I haven't I've never sold a show, but you know, there there's a couple that I'm pitching now that I really really love and I have high hopes for. Um, I had something in development that was a it was spooky stories for preschoolers, which I really loved, and I had a lot of research about you know why you know it's good for kids and. And I felt like I found just the right combination of humor and tension, you know, to make it work. And it didn't sell. But now I'm talking to somebody about possibly making it into a kid's podcast. And I'm I'm really excited about that. Um, so, you know, I again, I, I, I just I, I just try to keep creating. You know, I have this idea that we are we're all trying to live our most creative lives. And mine is just making up <laughs> silly stories, you know, so. You know, I pitch them as they come, and if they don't sell, I just keep, you know, on to the next one, on to the next one. You know, um, Dude, so that's luckily awesome. I, 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 I love the process. So, you told us at our meeting that each place had a different want. Can you explain mm -hmm. that to everybody listening? Like, um, Netflix is looking for story, but Nickelodeon's looking for the child well. either whatever it changes all the time so you know you, that's you know one of the things you have to do if you're in this business is keep in contact with those folks to ask them what their white spaces are in terms of show there's the shows they're looking for but also the types of shows they're looking for so at a certain point you know somebody is looking for slice of life comedies like uh 
like Bluey, right? Whereas somebody else, like a Nickelodeon, is is looking, you know, or has in the past looked for things that are, you know, from a kid's point of view with a little bit of a, uh, you know, um, kind of a, a sassy sense of humor. You know what I mean? So a little bit edgier than the stuff you'd find on PBS. And you know, and and Nick Jr. was very curriculum focused at 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 one time, and and they're you know they're they're going more for story driven character driven stories now which is kind of like what disney was doing with their stuff so it changes all the time and understanding the the current uh landscape is you know one of the parts of the job really is to stay in touch with those folks and and and, and it just it's just um you just have to reach out and ask you know what are you looking for these days you know um so you know for people out there creating their own shows write something that you're passionate about don't try to fit into a box because it's going to change either the the company's going to change direction or the thing you heard that they were looking for is they already have it in development if you try to hit that moving target i don't you, you'll probably never finish anything finish the thing that you're doing and then move on to the next thing and do the next thing and luckily and, and hopefully you'll everything will be a little bit different in tone you know, with strong characters and different locations, you know? So then when you hear, oh, I'm doing that thing about the frog prince, you know, and uh, and Netflix has said, they only want shows about frogs. You're ready to go with your idea that's perfect for them, right? Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a very, you know, the landscape's always changing, you know, especially it seems like it's changing faster than ever now. It's hard to predict where it's gonna be tomorrow. How many pitches do you think you've done over the years? Countless. I mean, things I've written, I must have written, you know, um, 30 or more shows. I probably pitched, you know, um, you know, half of them someplace, you know, uh, oh. over the years. Um, you know, and, you know, I, those are completed. You know, I probably started another 30 over the years that, you know, just never, you know, hit or I got distracted and onto something else, you know, um, you know, I keep a I keep a notebook with, you know, little ideas in it, you know, and a little situation or a little relationship, you know, um, will be something that will be interesting to me. And, uh, and sometimes I'll, I'll rewrite the same kind of relationship in, you know, four or five different shows, you know, trying to find the right combination for the right person. Um, you know, I had I was trying to pitch this thing about a uh, like a very young preschool show that had very little dialogue about a little little girl or a little boy who made friends with a robot, right? Uh, I think it was an alien at first, right? And then it it was like because they don't speak the same language, right? So I wanted two characters that don't speak the same language that just love each other and have fun. That was kind of like the little seed of that story. And I started it with an alien and then somebody was like, well, we have enough alien stuff. How about a robot? So I changed it to a robot. You know, I'm like, I don't care. It could be a chicken and a watermelon. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's like it, it, just two things that are different is the is the driver of that story. Right. And so, you know, sometimes it's like that where you feel like you're onto something, but you just haven't hit the right details for somebody to buy it. But if it's still compelling to you, you can rewrite it and rewrite it and keep trying, you know. He changed so, it to chicken robot so quick. In a million years, you'd ask me to name two opposites, and I would never do chicken and a robot. <laughs> no, sorry, the watermelon would never come out of me. I just wouldn't think of a watermelon being a character. But it's yeah. possible in a cartoon. Anything's For possible, sure. and that's what's amazing about it. Yeah. Yeah. Dag yeah. on it. Dude, somebody's going to make that show by. now. Good luck so with what your is watermelon. Your... Yeah. Sorry, guys. No, I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> What is what is the website one more time? Oh, mine is bydavepalmer.com. B y d a v e p a l m e r.com is my website. There's a little there's you know, you'll find my resume there and and you know, I think my email somewhere on there. Um but I'm not I'm not hard to find if you go looking and um you know, like I said, I'm always happy to hear from people that, you know, love to make cartoons. Dude, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Sorry she Thank wasn't you. out there very helpful at all i'm sorry but, um, that you're not feeling well <laughs> she's doing good she just has no voice she has no voice but thank you thank you thank you we'll be in touch we are just now getting started in our friendship yeah and i said this would be a great way to get to know each other because i want to know you and i want to know about it 
I feel like I'm ill-prepared. Like, I still want to know more about the process, but I don't know the questions to ask. So I did the best well, I could. Thank you. Over thank time. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure. All right, man. That's it for us. All we have left to say is uh, see you next week. Check us out online at wesisley.com and patreon.com forward slash Wes underscore Isley for behind the scene videos, blooper videos, never before seen footage, discounts on merchandise, magic trick tutorials, and more. That's Wes Isley spelled W-E-S-I-S-E-L-I. -S -E